Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. As I've been doing the past couple of weeks, I'm going to announce another person who's going to be hanging out in the Retro RGB section at Retro World Expo the last week of August in Hartford, Connecticut. And this week, it is Chris from Displaced Gamers. I actually met Chris for half a second once at an expo. We were both running in other directions, and I'm really excited to be able to actually hang out and talk now. So uh, hopefully a bunch of you would like to do the same and want to come visit us and hang out and meet all of the awesome people that are going to be hanging out at Retro World. So if you're interested, I already did an interview with Chris that I'll link in the description, or just come and hang out and talk to him in person. But there's a ton of stuff to go over this week, so I'm going to jump right in and make sure I get through all of it as quick as I can. First up, after a successfully funded Kickstarter campaign, the 4K Gamer Pro is now available on Indiegogo, and I believe that's because the Kickstarter campaign had a finite period of time for funding, and now I think the Indiegogo is just going to be up and you could purchase through that website if you want it. I think there's tiers just like the Kickstarter campaign where the first people who buy get a bit of a discount just as a thank you for being an early adopter, but basically this is the exact same thing that I reviewed and that also Wobbling Pixels reviewed. Uh, there's no changes, there's no differences. So if you were interested in a sharp scale from 1080p to 4K, at the moment, this is your device. If you'd like a soft scale, or if you think your TV does a good enough job, then just leave it alone. And I mean that with respect. This is just one of those adapters where there's no lag, it doesn't ruin the image. It really just comes down to, do your eyes prefer a sharp scale or not. So if you want more details, please check out the post as well as both of our review videos. And hopefully that should be more than enough info to see if this is something that would benefit your setup. This next post links to two digital audio converters, or one of them's kind of a switch as well, that performed absolutely perfectly on the digital side. And I found this out during a live stream. I'll talk about this later on because I don't want to waste anybody's time, but skipping to the end in the context of this post, there are two devices you might be interested. One is a device that simply converts between, it says Toslink and Coaxial, but it's basically digital audio over an RCA connector or digital audio off of that cable that shoots the beam of light. 
a lot of people might run into a scenario in which your console outputs one of those formats and your receiver doesn't. So if you want a converter that is pretty much flawless, this one's it. Now, I would never have expected to have a problem, except what I've started to find with some of these cheaper adapters is, while the digital conversion side's probably the same as the rest, maybe there's different power options on there that muddy up the signal. Maybe the the components they used were super low end. So the one that we found here and all of the tests performed perfectly. The next is a device from JTEC Digital that takes two TOSLink and two coax inputs. So basically four digital inputs, two of the RCA kind, two of the light kind, and then it outputs to one digital output or analog audio. So basically, if you were looking for a four in, one out digital audio switch, this performed perfect. The analog output was meh. So this is one of those things where it's like, if you're using this as a temporary solution for analog, or if you have a couple of speakers you want to plug in just to make sure everything's working, or basically, if you're using this, consider the analog output and a bonus, something extra. I would not purchase this ever for the digital to analog conversion, but I personally bought this for when I was using wireless headset uh, just to watch TV at night when I was in a tiny apartment and I didn't want to wake my wife up. So from that context, having a digital audio switch and taking the analog outs into some crappy RF wireless headset was perfect because if I wanted audio quality, I wouldn't be listening to a crappy headset. <laughs> I'd be listening to speakers. So I wanted to tell that silly story just to put context into it. If analog just you need to get the job done this is totally fine but i would honestly consider the jtec digital one just more of a switch and signal converter if you want to go from rca to optical but both of these devices are solid and a bunch of them that i tested weren't so i'll talk a little bit more about that later but here's your quick mini review of the two audio converters this week's podcast is once again brought to you by JLC pcb and i want to show once again their very awesome factory tour so while I've never been to an assembly facility as impressive as JLC PCBs, I have been to places like it, and I can kind of walk you through what it is that you're seeing here. They have a giant warehouse of component preparation, and each shelf is numbered and corresponds to your order, so that when your order is ready, everything gets scanned in, as well as your PCBs and your stencils. And now, when you have a PCB assembly made, a stencil is required because everything's done through machinery for surface mount stuff. So a few weeks ago, I talked about having a stencil for making your own stuff on a reflow oven. Here's how it's done in a factory environment, where the machinery goes through and spreads the solder paste only on the areas of the PCB that require any of the components. Then it gets scanned through a different machine to make sure that nothing's splattered and everything lines up. And then comes my favorite part of watching these videos, the pick-and-place machine. These are different machines that go through and take individual components and place them exactly where they need to be on top of the existing solder paste. These things are so cool to see in person, and it's so interesting and fascinating to me how they get programmed to put everything in the exact place they need. But it's not quite done from there. While it's sticky on there, it won't be until it goes through the reflow oven where it's heated up to the correct temperature in order for all of the components to permanently bind to the board. 
Then it gets inspected to make sure there's no craziness on it and, you know, nothing splattered through. And then it's sent to the final through-hole assembly. And these are for scenarios like if you have a build that has a bunch of surface mount components, but then a few through-hole components like a SCART connector or a VGA connector. Those have to be soldered through by hand, and those are manually done by people on an assembly line who also do the final checks and finish it off to make sure everything looks the way it's supposed to be. So I know I've shown that factory tour a few times, but first and foremost, it's something that I find neat that I wouldn't mind seeing as an ad in other people's videos. But I also wanted to run that one more time before I start airing a series of ads that show some other tips and tweaks about JLC PCB and how to utilize their services in the middle of a global part shortage. I figured this was good to set us up for next week, and hopefully I could have the first part of the next series of ads available then. But for now, just check out JLC PCB for all all of your PCB and assembly needs. Todd from Retrofrog has just opened pre-orders on two vertical stands for PlayStation 2 consoles, both the original and the slim. And this is pretty cool because a lot of people's setups might benefit from having them vertically oriented just because if you have a shelf that's tall uh, but not so wide, you'd probably be able to fit more consoles in that way. And while the original did have the little feet on the bottom so that you could supposedly leave it vertically oriented, it always made me nervous because if I ever bumped into the, the shelf or whatever else, it wasn't super stable. So this will absolutely add some stability to that. And of course, the PlayStation 2 Slim never had a vertically oriented option so if you're somebody especially somebody that plays most of their games over the network port via retro nas or something this is ideal if you were looking to share up or free up some space by vertically orienting it so uh, both of them are available for pre-order right now neither of them cover any of the ports uh, and both of them make sure that the console kind of locks in place so it won't slide out or fall out you have to you know you have to grip it and kind of give it a tug in order to get it out the fat stand is priced at $17, and the slim is priced at $14, and they should ship before the end of the month. So always, I'm always appreciative of stuff like this, you know, because little things sometimes make the biggest difference. So thanks to Todd for doing these, and if anybody wants to vertically orient their PlayStation consoles, now you got a, a good option to do so. A Kickstarter campaign was just launched for a pretty ambitious project to take the PC game Black Jewel and remake it on the Sega Genesis, the Super Nintendo, the Game Boy, and the NES, and they're calling that remake Black Jewel Reborn. So that's both awesome and pretty overwhelming. The fact that it's already based on an existing PC game uh, that's in a 2D style might make it a little bit easier because they don't have to try to do this from complete scratch. However, it is supposed to be a newer game with updated everything. It's not just a port, according to Kevin's post, as well as the Kickstarter and some of the footage that I've seen. So uh, I guess the Genesis version is mostly done and would be released first, but there's Kickstarter tiers to do everything from purchase just the ROM, which I love because that's always the easiest for me, as well as purchase individual versions of the game, cartridges, full boxed, full collector sets with every version of the game on there. So it's kind of up to you as to how you'd like to support if you choose to support this one. But every option's there, which is pretty neat. But I'm just wondering how the developers are going to pull off porting this to four completely different consoles 
all within a reasonable period of time for the Kickstarter. So that's a pretty amazing feat, and I'd be very impressed, and no offense, but also incredibly surprised if they able, if they pulled it off all with the deadlines that they'd listed. So if you're looking for a pretty neat 2D, you know, beat-em-up style, I guess um, I think I saw John Riggs called it like a 2D Golden Axe or something like that, because remember Golden Axe kind of had more of like that the depth to it so i don't know check it out yourself to see if you like it but this one's pretty interesting and i can't remember the last time somebody wanted to release it on so many different consoles i think it must have been xeno crisis which of course took a while to come out on all of them so you know no disrespect to the team it's a huge huge undertaking so we'll see how this one goes Mike G just released a new firmware for the RetroTINK 5X, but there's a few things to note about this one, and it's probably not for everybody. I mean that in a nice way. But basically, this new firmware allows the RetroTINK 5X to match the input frame rate with a regenerated clock that's more stable than frame lock. So it's mainly useful for 1440p resolutions with composite or S-video sources that could previously not sync in frame lock mode. So basically, if you have a source that's composite or S-video and it worked in triple buffer but didn't work in frame lock, now you have a way to reduce the latency but still use those. So it's not for everybody. Most people I've talked to have had totally you know perfect compatibility with their displays and all of this stuff so that's the first caveat and the other is that these this firmware is only compatible with RetroTINK 5x units sold after july 2021 so please remember that we are midway through a global part shortage and anything that you buy today is almost surely made up of components that are half what was already specced and half well let's see what i could do to make this thing work without sacrificing quality. So it's not like Mike pulled a switcheroo on everybody. Um, it's just one of those things that that's kind of how it happened. And it's also ensuring that you're getting equal or better than quality and not worse quality. So, you know, I don't, I think if you're one of the few people that got the first batch, if you're having trouble with composite or S video in frame lock mode, you know, it's a very small percentage of people. So, uh, you know, maybe you could trade up with somebody that doesn't need that feature, but it's not that big a deal in my opinion, but please let us know in the comments if, if you think differently. But um, the very good news is what if you don't know when you bought your RetroTINK 5X? Doesn't matter. Just if you want to try the feature, load this firmware up. And if you see the Genlock option as part of the HDMI output, then you got it. And if you don't, that's it. So there's no harm. It's not like one of those things where if you load up the wrong firmware, you could brick your unit. That is not it at all. Just load up this firmware and you either have the option or don't. So I think considering the fact that we're in a part shortage, Mike had to get these things out. I think this is a totally awesome option. And by the way, with respect, Mike could have just chose to not add this option at all to, to kind of avoid any conflict for people that might have been upset. So I think he did the right choice, and who knows? Maybe there's going to be other features coming that could only be with whatever batch had X parts in it. I don't know, but I just, I wouldn't be, personally, I wouldn't be mad about that because we're just lucky that these things are able to be made at all because I personally am part of a couple of projects that have been basically canceled indefinitely until the part shortage is over, and this could have very easily ended up that way. So I'm very glad that it's not, uh, and if you need this new Genlock feature, just give it a try. 
try. On the flip side, if everything's working fine, this is the only edition, so I wouldn't even bother updating the firmware. It's rare that I say that. Obviously, no disrespect to Mike, but this is just one of those things that if you don't need it, why bother? So here's something kind of weird and awesome for Sonic fans, but I got to start with a tiny bit of history. Back in E3 in 1996, there was a trailer shown for a game called Sonic Extreme, which was the first fully 3D Sonic game. It was meant for the Saturn, and it showed kind of a weird fisheye view of the game that looked kind of neat. It was completely different, and people were kind of hyped about it, but that eventually got canceled, and elements of the game kind of went into other places. So now... The developer Voxel has found some of the original assets and have just released a new trailer for the upcoming Sage 22 hosted by Sonic Fan Games headquarters that shows their version of the game running. So they basically were able to kind of work on the game that was never released to eventually give us a taste of what that would have been like. So the entire story is here, and of course there's also more info around Sega Saturn Shiro, but this is absolutely nuts. So, I mean, basically, Voxel had to get a hold of the original unmodified formatted levels and stuff that's been leaked to the public over the years and put together, in first, an interactive level viewer for PC working in Unity. And then, from that starting point, all of the levels uh, have been worked on porting over to the Saturn. So, I don't believe it's complete yet, but it's one of those things that is just going to look so cool and be something that is just really weird and unique because... Anybody that remembered seeing that footage or anybody that's into video game history that either missed it or is too young for it probably has seen something about this. And now at some point we might be able to try it on our own Saturns. So I think that's absolutely awesome and I'm looking forward to seeing where this project goes. The post-apocalyptic dungeon crawler called Baroque just had an English translation for the original PlayStation version. Now, the game was eventually remade for the PlayStation 2 and the Wii, and that version was localized in English, but the original Japanese version on the PlayStation 1 and Saturn were not. So I believe a team of people have worked on the PlayStation 1 version and are currently working on the Saturn version as well, which I'm sure the Shiro team will keep us updated on if that's eventually fully released. But as always, I am super appreciative to anybody who takes the time to translate these games because while many people might just want to play the PS2 or the Wii version, there's a ton of us out there that sometimes like to play the original, especially fans of early games in that era and stuff like that. So I personally would be interested in trying to check out either one of the original versions, and now I can, just uh, because people took the time to do the translations. So thank you very much to everybody who works on this stuff, and we'll keep you updated when the Saturn version is released as well. So I finally found two HDMI switches I don't hate. Anybody that's been following me for a while knows that most of these drive me crazy when used with retro gaming. Very often they don't work at all, or they work, but then they freeze up and you have to power cycle, or sometimes audio just stops working. I never really understood what the heck was up with that, but a lot of HDMI equipment freaks out with retro signals, and these two didn't seem to. Now, of course... You know, we're in the middle of a part shortage. The ones you buy today might be different than the ones you buy tomorrow. So always buy from stores that you could return to them to in case they don't work out in your setup. But I'll give a quick mini review here. I actually think I want to do a video soon about just HDMI equipment and some of the little cheaper devices I found. Kind of a summary of all of these mini reviews I've done here. So I'll run through it real quick, starting with the cons, the bad. Um, these do not support 4K 120. I'm pretty sure they don't support variable refresh rate. 
it will tell your streaming box or your console that your TV is Dolby Vision compatible, even if it isn't. So you just have to pay attention to that. That shouldn't be too big a deal. If you enable it and you get no video on the on the screen, then you know that's what that is. Um, and I think that's and no CEC control. So if you use like your Apple TV remote or your PS1 digital to turn off all of your equipment, it won't work through these. But there's a lot of good. First, both are completely lagless. I can't believe I forgot to put that in the original review. I, I updated that, but zero lag on both of them. Both are four in, two out matrix switches, which means any input could go to either output, which so you could do input one to both, or you could do input one to output two, input four to output one, whatever. It works great. Um, I didn't have any problems with that. One of them, the more expensive one, you could choose to downscale either one of the HDMI ports to 1080p, which is a huge deal for two common scenarios. Number one, you just want to play your games in 4K, but you want to stream in 1080p. Beautiful. It's not the most perfect downscaling, but I mean, for a feature that's built into this, why not? The other thing is if you have an AVR that doesn't support HDMI 2.0 or higher, you could just simply downscale the 4K output, but only really use it for audio. Because you're, if you're using the other output of this, so output number one goes to your TV, output number two goes to your AVR, doesn't really matter what the video that's going to it, because you just don't hook up any other video to your AVR. So that's a perfect option there. The other one does not have downscaling, but it has a bunch more EDID controls and audio extraction. So it supports audio return channel on HDMI port one, as well as both types of digital audio, the RCA connector and the optical connector. It also has analog audio out, but that's meh. Like I was talking about with the JTEC before, I think this actually performs better than the JTEC, but it's one of those that you should probably consider a bonus feature. Um, plug your headphones in to make sure audio is working for your streams. Or, um, you know, you know that you're going to get a better DAC at some point. So you're going to use this one temporarily and then upgrade. Or scenario where it just doesn't matter. You know, you have everything run digitally, but occasionally you just need some analog output, like my silly headphone reference before. So that's pretty much it. Um, there's a bunch of other little things about them that I like a lot, but basically it performs perfectly on the digital side. The analog output's uh, respectable for a feature built in, especially for something that's under 50 bucks, because you get a lot of features with this for less than 50. The other one with downscaling, I think, was almost 80, so you really should only buy that one if you need the downscaling feature. But both were awesome. The only other thing with the downscaling one is it has a whole bunch of control options, like a, an extra IR extender, RS-232 control, and the power supply screws in. So I kind of get the impression that if you have a setup where you're going to be mounting this inside an AV rack somewhere and you want to use other equipment to control it, that's another reason you might want to spend the extra money on this, not just the downscaling side of things. Um, or I guess if you have a, another downscaling thing is if you have a 4K TV and a 1080p projector, that would probably work too. But either way, that's kind of more of the, the pro features. It doesn't have as many EDID options, but you still have the basics, 4K, 2K, or copy from the TV. Um, and that's pretty much it. The only other things to mention, uh, it did work with an OSSC and a Super Nintendo without a D-Jitter mod in 5X mode. If you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. If you do, then rest assured that works. 
PlayStation 3 and Apple TV both were able to work. So if you have any issues with that, that's definitely a good sign. Uh, and the audio and video, like I mentioned before, are both good. If you don't believe me about the video, I have screen captures here showing it does not harm the image at all in any way. So that's kind of just my quick mini overview of this. I jumped around uh, just because I know I'm going to be spending some more time on this in the future. But finally, two switches that don't suck. They're not perfect, but they're definitely better than a lot of the ones that I've been testing, especially anything previous with matrix features or arc or audio extraction. These are the first ones that really nail it, um, at least better than whatever came before. So stay tuned for that more detailed video at some point, but here you go for now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, care of Lou from Lou's Retrosource. As usual, if I talk about anything here that piques your interest, please check out Lou's video. And of course, you could reference the post here as well. And obviously, you're going to want to subscribe to him on YouTube. But I'm going to go through and kind of give my thoughts on all of these. And the first is a big one. Hotego has just announced that he's working on and making very good progress on a core for the arcade version of OutRun, which is one of my favorite racing games of all time. And in fact, I was just about to list my OutRun cab for sale. I've been talking about it behind the scenes a little bit first. And I wanted to mention that for two reasons. One, yes, I'm doing that cheesy thing where I'm using my platform to try to sell some of my stuff. But way more importantly... I occasionally hear of people when a new core is released, they say something like, oh, I could just sell all my original stuff. And I'm the opposite of that. Usually when a new core is released and something that I haven't been able to discover before, especially an arcade game, it usually gets me more interested. And there's been more than one time that a new thing was released than on some sort of emulation that just pushed me towards the original even though I'm probably going to use the Mr. Core 99% of the time, that's not what it's about. If something's important to me, I want to own it. So I wanted to have that talk because I didn't want people thinking that because the OutRun Core is coming that I'm selling my machine. It's just a space thing. If I had a lot more space, I would keep this and probably a ton of other arcade machines, but I don't have the room for it. I got to be more realistic about how I fill the space in this office slash family room thing I got here. So if you're interested and you're around the New York area let me know but way more important than getting it sold is trying to get the right message out and just you know i'm not shaming people that would do that but that's not me and that's not most of my friends either so i uh, wanted to put that out there but next uh jason hicks has just released a case for the jamix io board and i believe the jamix already came with a case but this is jason's spin on it but I thought Jason was retired, and I'm kind of confused. So there was like a big retirement thing, and then a couple other people stepped up to make cases to fill the void, and then he was back, and then he's gone again. Which one, dude? Pick one. <laughs> no, I don't really know where am I pointing people to. So I don't know if this is a one-off design. I don't know if Jason's officially back. Let us know, Jason. But um, the case will cost 180 and that includes worldwide shipping. So you're definitely going to want to check all of this stuff yourself to see if it's worth the cost for you. I thought the original case was fine, but uh, check it out and see. 
Next, James McKenzie on Twitter has just done a comparison of Ridge Racer from the original PlayStation versus the Mr. Core and found that after letting it run for almost 6,000 frames, both systems remained in sync, which is pretty interesting because that's a testament to how accurate that very complicated core actually is. So I, I love stuff like this. Thanks, James, for taking the time to do it, but it's just pretty neat and it just shows how much time and care went into making these. There's also a few updates for the PlayStation Core, uh, just mostly bug fixes and stuff, and this week's fixes involve video rendering bugs for Final Fantasy VI and Ape Escape. Also, Gun for IR, the Gun for IR is now officially supported in the Mr. Code. You just have to run a normal update. And I believe that is the gun made by JB, where you just set four IR sensors around your TV, and whether it's, I believe that's CRT or flat panel, and you're able to just use light gun games as if it was the original light gun. So I think it kind of works similar to the Wiimote, but since it's four points, it's going to be more accurate. And I'm really interested in trying this. I haven't reached out to JB in a while, so hopefully I could purchase uh, a prototype. They're all sold out now, but I would love to just purchase one, plug it in, and test, because I have not had great luck with different light gun solutions on the Mister. Usually snack is the only way that I've gotten it to work perfectly, um, but I just kind of have some issues with a lot of the snack adapters out there now. So I'm certainly interested in trying this one. Next, Neil Morrison has published his own version of a project that allows you to run a color LCD display from the Mister. So Neil's version of it allows you to have a folder with a bunch of PNG files in it, and every time you load a core, a different PNG file will load up. I think that's awesome. I love fun and neat projects like this, and I would love to see a version of this designed with arcades in mind. Whether it's the top marquee or whether it's something smaller for candy cabs, I just think it's really unique and awesome. Or maybe it's not even artwork. Maybe it loads up a list of moves for arcade games. I don't know. I just like thinking out of the box with that stuff. So thanks, Neil, for, for making that. There's also the original project, uh, the TTY to OLED. If you're also interested in another alternative, check out the link in Lou's post, of course. Todd from RetroFrog has been working on two Mr. Cases. One is a compact case that he already released the files to his Patreon subscribers, and the other is one with room for a SATA hard drive. And while I've mostly been using RetroNAS on everything that supports it, uh, I absolutely see a need for this. So thank you, Todd, for making this. Check out the links for anybody interested. Um, Null Object has also announced that Hot Dog Storm is coming to the Mister via the Cave Core, although it's still very much in progress. Sound isn't working, and it required some frame buffer issues. So uh, definitely keep yourself posted if you wanted that. Or we'll keep you posted on that game. Next, Furtech has given some updates on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Core. It still needs a lot of work, but Furtech is making progress. So. I think we're all probably pretty excited about that, but I always want to make sure not to put pressure on the devs working on this stuff. It'll be done when it's done. There's a lot of huge hurdles in the future, but I've been supporting Furtech on Patreon since he started a, a Patreon, and I think uh, you know progress like this always gets me really excited, so I'm glad Lou took the time to share that. Also, variable refresh rate is now part of the official build, so you just need to run your update script to get it. And I have a question for all of you. What is a very easy game to test variable refresh rate on? Because when I was back 
almost 10 years ago now or something when I was trying to run Groovy Mame and get Mortal Kombat working properly, the easiest thing for me was one of the first screens where you get vertical scrolling. If it's choppy, then you're not running at the exact refresh rate, but if it's smooth, you are. So obviously MK is not available on the Mister. What do you all know of that is an easy thing to access? Not level three in this game, like something I could fire up pretty immediately to test because I would love to to test VRR a little bit and and kind of I don't know if I'll do a video on it, but I certainly would like to get a better um, grasp on what cores would benefit from it. I'm sure some arcade games are probably the number one thing for it, and I finally have the ability to test that now thanks to a friend. So anybody knows anything about that, please fire up some suggestions in the comments. Also, the Super Game Boy Core is officially released, and it even supports MSU One. So. Why would you need a Super Game Boy Core if there's already a Game Boy Core? A lot of, of a lot of games, surprisingly, have custom borders that would pop up whenever you used it on the Super Game Boy via the Super Nintendo. So that was, and there's some extra features that I think some games had available. So that alone's pretty neat. But also, not very many, but a few games recently had an MSU One. CD quality audio soundtrack added. And I kind of got mixed feelings on MSU1 in general, because sometimes I love the original music, but sometimes having that CD quality replacement really does feel like a massive upgrade. So kind of neat, definitely something that you should check out if you're into Game Boy games. Uh, next, there's a new core for the Japanese home computer called the Tommy Tutor, which is not anything I'd heard of before, but apparently it was released in 1982, so now many of us could experience a new platform if we feel like it, so thanks to whoever ported that over. And there's been a couple of other basic updates to the Mister. Some of the miscellaneous ones are HDMI pixel repetition was added, which I believe uh, adds some more compatibility options if you're running 1440p. There's tweaks to the cheat menu. Um, There's also... MSU One fixes for the SNES core, um, PPU fixes, and snack support for 3D glasses on the NES core, which is something that probably requires its own video. I have mixed feelings about that because I love these 3D glasses games, but I absolutely do not like the the snack options available for that now. I've uh, I've been begging some developers to stop doing it this way, and nobody seems to listen. But hopefully, we'll have an easy to use snack option available soon that could support this on different platforms. Um, if you want to try it yourself, you could figure out how to piece together the five pieces needed to do that now. But uh, hopefully, we'll have some more updates on that because while there are not many good 3D games, there are. I love Space Harrier for SMS. Outrun, both of those are neat, but also Missile Defense 3D, 3D 8-bit missiles, come on, and Maze Hunter or Maze Walker, depending on the version, is one of the only 3D games for the SMS that truly uses the 3D depth as part of the game, and I think that's always the go-to if you want to see the potential for these, but there's also potential to add 3D support to cores that didn't have them. It's not always going to work right. It's kind of going to be hit or miss, but I think this is kind of a novelty thing that more people really should experience, because you might not love it, but it's definitely unique, especially the original games for the Master System, and the couple that the Famicom had, I think are pretty awesome and worth seeing, but anyway, that's 
that's it for this week. Um, kind of a lot of stuff, so this ran a little longer than normal. But if you want more info, please subscribe to Lou. I'm so appreciative that he compiles all of this up for all of us in one spot every week, so we don't have to go hunting down and, and you know trying to find this information across multiple different sources. So thanks again to Lou, and wow, what an awesome week with some awesome updates. If you act fast, you can get Wonder Boy the Dragon's Trap free on the Epic Game Store, which is the PC version. So this is the game that's the remake of Wonder Boy 3, and that was originally released in 1989 on a couple of different platforms. And this is also the game that allows you to toggle between the 8-bit and modern views and between the original music and the newer music. And I loved this game. I thought, I mean, I thought the game itself was great, but the fact that there were all these extra features in it, and it, they just did such a great job on the remake. So if you have not played this at all yet, definitely get it for free up until uh, up until Thursday at 11 a.m., I believe. So definitely jump on this. If you have played it or if you're looking for the physical versions, I linked to those here. I think someone a couple of years ago told me about a different edition somewhere else, but I always like to link to, to reputable stores, not just for the affiliate links. I don't only link because of affiliate links, but I just don't know what the solid places to get the other versions are. Um, I remember somebody sending me an AliExpress link a couple of years ago, and I was like, mm, if that's a bootleg, I don't want to buy it. Not saying everything on AliExpress is a bootleg, just saying it's likely that you would find something like that there. So if you're looking for the physical versions, the links are right here in the description. But if you just want the PC version for free, I would strongly recommend getting it because this is absolutely a game worth playing and you can't beat free. Karapi and Marms have just announced a new project that's not available for sale yet, but is absolutely worth talking about, both because I think a lot of PC gamers classic PC gamers would be into it, but also just to kind of get an interest check out there. But basically, this is an ISA sound card that combines both the Gravix ultrasound chips as well as the original Yamaha chips and PC MIDI stuff. So basically, while I am not at all an expert in classic PCs, luckily Vanessa's post is pretty easy to read, and I was able to get the gist of it. This is going to be one card that really has support for a bunch of different classic audio formats. And while the price hasn't been released, it's definitely going to be expensive, but it's going to be cheaper than buying all of the solutions that it encompasses separately, and you don't have to remove and reinsert all the different cards. So it's definitely going to be a niche product, but it's one that I know a bunch of people that are going to get very excited about. So if you want to, um, if you want more details on this, I strongly recommend checking out Vanessa's post because she detailed everything that you would need to know, how it's going to work, what it's going to look like, and if you're even slightly into retro PCs, I would look into Karapi's other stuff as well, the stuff that we've covered here. I believe Reese covered a few on his channel, and it just the devices make it so much easier to get true to the original performance, but without messing around with original stuff. Sometimes it's expensive, sometimes it doesn't work as well. Everything's going to need a capacitor replacement at some point. So buying a new version of these things is a big help to classic PC gamers. So please, if you're even slightly interested, check out Vanessa's post, get more info, read about everything that I probably got wrong in this post and she got it right. But I really love stuff like this, and I think it's an absolutely cool addition, especially for people that want all of the different sound options that this thing would, would encompass. So definitely, classic PC gamers, check this one out. 
WebHDX, the creator of the PicoBoot GameCube mod, was just interviewed over on the Zez Retro channel. And while I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, it is queued up on my phone. I'm probably going to start listening as I'm editing this video. But I'm really excited to hear directly from the main developer of that project because a lot of us have gotten really excited but have also speculated on what could possibly happen next. And I'm sure Lewis and Steve asked him all of those different questions and kind of have a better picture painted of what to expect for this one what's going to be in future versions, and uh, clarifying his view on the AliExpress cloners, which is something I feel so passionately about. And some people like to creatively mess with me on this, and it never works, because here's the thing. If you have a clone company that takes a completely open-source design and makes it legally, they're still a clone company that steals from people. They just didn't happen to steal that one. So you still shouldn't support the companies that do that. It's such a black and white thing to me. I don't understand. Maybe that like baby baby talk thing that I talked about last week is still prevalent in all of these scenarios, but I just, I don't get it. And uh, I'm interested to hearing WebHDX's view on it because as you all know, I have a very passionate opinion on cloners and clone companies, whether they do the right thing or not. Sometimes they're still a clone company, but should turn out to be an interesting interview. And uh, I'm obviously a big fan. So hopefully uh, enough people will get a chance to listen to this one. Kevin Mellet has just opened pre-orders on two brand new devices for the Virtual Boy, but this is the type of pre-order where if not all of the minimum order requirements are fulfilled, then the orders have to be canceled, and of course, everybody will get refunded. So for both of these, if you were kind of like, yeah, I'd probably be interested in that, now's the time to pre-order, because if you don't, the product probably won't happen. I separated them to two posts, and I'll have two sections here just to make things easier to manage in the future. And here's the first one, a Virtual Boy Rumble Pack. Now, at the moment, this is only compatible with Homebrew that specifically writes to the Rumble Pack. So I believe there's at least a few games out there now uh, ranging from Proof of Concept to, I believe one of the new racing games actually has that as a feature. So this is going to be more reliant on any of the homebrew devs than anything else. And the homebrew scene for Virtual Boy is growing and filled with a bunch of very awesome people. For me personally, I would also like to see, if possible, maybe I'm talking out my ass here, but it would be very cool to see it hacked into retail games. Even basic things like Mario Tennis, there's already the two-player hack. Um, I would love to see rumble support, so every time you hit the ball, you get a little bit of the rumble. I think that would be very neat. But, I mean, anything. I imagine Street Fighter would be fun. Um, you know, any of the other games out there, like uh, Wario, maybe when you do one of those, you know, the butt jumps or something, you could have the controller shake. I don't even know if that's possible, though. But I think, as with everything in the Virtual, virtual Boy homebrew scene, the future is pretty bright, and there's a bunch of very cool stuff out there. So if you are interested in getting one of these, check it out now. Check out the post and uh, see if it's something that you'd want to support and fund and if not uh you know totally understandable you know it's probably it's just good to do these like rip the band-aid off and find out because i would hate to see kevin drop a ton of money making these to have them not sell and then lose a bunch of money so if you're interested now's the time to step up the next pre-order Kevin opened is for a Blue Retro Adapter, which essentially is a receiver that allows you to connect a long list of controllers from PlayStation and Xbox to the Switch and even some of the Wii Pro controllers to whatever device it's plugged into. 
And while I, for a long time, was very skeptical about Bluetooth for use in classic consoles, the Blue Retro Project got it down to incredibly low latency, and it might be a very good option. And honestly, most of the time I'm fine with the original Virtual Boy controller, but occasionally, especially playing a fighting game or something, if, uh, you know, like playing Street Fighter and I'm moving around, the wire kind of gets in my way. So this might be one of those times where having a Bluetooth adapter could benefit people who want to play. Also, the long range of controllers you can get, um, people just don't like the Virtual Boy controller, all of those are completely reasonable reasons for wanting this. But much like the Rumble Pack that I just talked about, if Kevin doesn't get enough pre-orders, the project's going to be canceled and everybody's going to get refunded. So if you thought that having a Bluetooth controller hooked up to your Virtual Boy is something that maybe you would want, now is definitely the time to step up. And this would be compatible with everything. The button mapping should be all one-to-one, so it shouldn't be only homebrew. You should be able to play every single thing that's playable on a Virtual Boy with a Bluetooth controller as opposed to the original one. So if you want more info on this, check out the post. Of course, if you want more info on Kevin and the work that he's done, you can check out the interview that we did a while back, but... I am a very big fan of the Virtual Boy. I like to see all of the crazy homebrew for it, and uh, it's pretty neat to see stuff like this come along. So I really hope both of these projects get funded. Uh, I really do think this one is something that you could use right now, whereas the Rumble Pack is more of those, if you build it, they will come type of scenario. If a bunch of people have these, I think homebrew developers would probably step up and start making more software to go with it. But it's going to have to be up to you to decide. Hopefully they'll be funded, but we'll see. Before I go, I want to talk very quickly about some of the live streams that I've been doing lately and how to know if they're for you or not. So first and foremost, I will always put in the description and when I tweet it out and put it on social media, what exactly it is. And very often I will put right in the description, this is a boring, nerdy test stream. Only watch if you know what you're getting yourself into. And by the way, I truly appreciate the people that show up for those and especially the people that super chat. All of that is so appreciated, but I just want to put that out there because I don't I want to be able to set people's expectations. So like I did something a while back where I uh, showed Atari Jaguar accessories and played some games. That's something that I would recommend to absolutely everybody who's even slightly into retro gaming and especially the Jaguar because the first 15, 20 minutes are talking about accessories and then the rest is showing gameplay footage. Uh, Then, you know, there's stuff, same thing with the 3DS live stream. And then the other stuff that I've been doing, the Extron boxes, performing these MD4EA tests, that's kind of more geared to people who want to do this themselves. So other reviewers and content creators, or just crazy people like me that want to make sure that their equipment is solid, um, that will teach you how to do those tests and show you the bumps in the road that we go through in that testing and, and kind of hopefully be able to teach people how to do a lot more of that stuff because there's got to be more more people out there doing it for this to make a difference and we're starting to have tools that we could use to measure this stuff so no more holding up a box saying it feels like there's no lag in here you know we have tools to test lag we have tools to test audio and i really want to show people how to use them unfortunately i'm sure this is absolutely murdering my my algorithm for YouTube. And I really wish that the YouTube team would have some kind of self-policing for this. I would love to be able to flag the videos that I put 40 hours into as like, please promote the heck out of this. And the stuff like these live streams that really aren't for everybody, I'd love to be able to say, you know, one step over unlisted. So if people go out and search for them, cool, but 
don't count it against me in the algorithm if nobody watches it because that's one of those things that a lot of these videos I've done that still only have 2,000 views, half of those views are from people that took the knowledge that I shared and then applied that to stuff that they're doing. So it's very important to them and terrible for my YouTube algorithm. So I still haven't figured out the best way to get around that. I just know that I do not want to change what I do. I don't want to ask everybody to subscribe to 10 different places and to try to figure out what stream is which and which thing I'm clickbaiting just because I need to get it in the algorithm, but it's not actually a clickbait thing or, you know, which stuff they they should watch or shouldn't i don't know i think youtube fails miserably with that stuff and this whole everybody needs to have four channels thing is total bullshit and i hope more people stand up to them against that but anyway my rant aside that's just the explanation to how some of these live streams have been going and what to expect in the future just always check the description and check the social media post of you know what it is to expect but um, thank you again to everybody that participates in these and please keep showing up because, you know, a lot of it's fun, a lot of it's educational, and some of it is just proving to you how long it takes to test some of this crap. <laughs> so, you know, it's more fun to do it with friends than it is to do it alone, but I'm not going to stop doing these and hopefully YouTube's whole system could evolve a little bit more to stop punishing people like me that just don't want to ask my followers to subscribe to 10 different places. Well, that's it for this time. As always, thanks to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially thank you to people who support in any way possible, because it is you that's keeping all of this going, and without you, I would eventually have to go do something else. So thank you so much for keeping this going. I'm going to keep trying to promote everybody else as much as I can, and I'll see you all next week. <laughs>